Hey, thanks for being here tonight. It's rainy, we're in the home stretch. I think it can get hard, so thank you for making the commitment to be here and be with your group. I'm just not that tall, whatever. Um, okay, so tonight we are in chapter eight, which I'm gonna say out loud because I keep thinking in my brain chapter nine. So if I say chapter nine, just know that I, what I mean is chapter eight. Um, so yeah, here we go. And actually, before we start, let me pray for us really quick. Father, I just, um, I just pray over this gathering here tonight. I pray as we come in, I know some are very um, tired and worn out from the day and from the week. And Lord, um, others of us come in with, with worries and burdens. And some of us come in refreshed and feeling ready for this evening. So wherever we're at, Lord, would you meet us? Would you help us to just take a moment to relax? And Father, we thank you that we're going to open your word. And so we're just going to trust that you're going to teach us from that. And you're going to give us a truth that's important for us. So we thank you for your amazing, incredible written word. And we thank you, Jesus, the word himself. Amen. So that's a picture of me with my son that I've talked about before. So he is a senior at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And a couple weeks ago, we went and visited him. And if it looks cold, that would be correct. It was very cold. And it wasn't really like Chicago winter cold, which I just can't imagine. So anyway, that we're in front of the famous arch on the Moody campus. So he'll graduate with a degree in theology in about two and a half months. But when I was pregnant with him and I was six and a half months pregnant, I was, we lived in Sacramento, California. I was asleep in my bed one morning and the phone rang. And so I had to get out of bed and answer the phone that's attached to the wall. And remember that? <laughs> and I got up, I answered the phone, and on the other end of the line was somebody from work, a coworker who had never called me at home. This was so strange. Jackie said to me, have you seen what's going on? And I said, what are you talking about? I mean, I'm half asleep. She said, go turn the television on and find out what's going on. So I went, sat in the family room, I can just envision this, turn the television on, sat on the couch, and I got up off that couch two or three hours later with a new reality. Because what I had just watched was Peter Jennings on the news first trying to explain why there were floors of the World Trade Center on fire and smoking. And then as I sat there and watched that, I watched the second jetliner hit the other tower and remember how we watched the towers collapse and the president told us we are under attack. And this reality, like I, I was just trying to understand well, what happens to people when the tower collapses. And of course we found out over the next few months and even really within the next few years, really what this was all about. There are people in this world that hate us enough that they, they plan and plot this for a long time. And it's just that we're not there in those towers and we weren't on those jetliners because it was just targeted 
toward any Americans. And that is hatred. And so tonight, when we open in chapter 8, the Jews are under a sentence of death. There is hatred. And it's really much worse in some ways, right? Because it's all of the Jews. It's all of them in the kingdom of Persia. And as we've talked about, the Jews on earth are contained within the kingdom of Persia. And it's not someone coming in from outside the kingdom of Persia. It's people within the kingdom of Persia. This is a very serious situation. So last week, we were in chapter 7. And Haman got his comeuppance is what happened to him. It wasn't enough for him that Mordecai was going to die with the rest of the Jews. He wanted him to die now. He wanted him to die publicly. He wanted to humiliate him. And so he built those gallows. And I think Amber told us it was six stories high, but he died on that. And so that is what happens. So here we are. We have, there's still a problem though. And the problem is the edict is still in effect. And so as we go into um, this chapter, what we see is that Esther has now gone and gotten her cousin and her guardian, Mordecai, and brought him in to see the king and introduces him. So Esther receives basically the estate of Haman. So that's definitely some irony, isn't it? That Haman's estate goes to a Jew. So she is enriched and she has more possessions. And Mordecai is given the signet ring by the king, which symbolizes authority and power. But there's still the problem of the edict that is in effect. And so Esther throws herself at the king's feet. She's weeping. She wasn't even weeping for herself in chapter 5 when she went before the king. She's weeping. And she is um, pleading with him to save her people. And he extends the scepter to her, and she is able to stand up. Um, and that's, I think, such a beautiful picture of that favor and the ability to have um, uh, entrance into the, into the throne room, if you will. So let's talk about this second edict, because the king tells her, I can't undo the first, first edict. That's the problem, right? He has, uh, when Haman had the signet ring, he sealed it with the signet ring. The king's name was used. It can't be undone. And we've seen this in other places. And I know we saw this in our lesson where Daniel in the lion's den, King Darius was so remorseful and regretful that Daniel ends up in the lion's den. But guess what? He can't be undone, which is really you just think about how these kings, how much they really knew about what they were really doing as they enacted these different edicts. But this second edict, it might be troubling. Do you feel troubled by that edict and by the level of violence? That's certainly a critique that has been out there that the Jews would have this 
power to or authority to kill others. But let's talk about that for a minute. So I used peas tonight. Um, so parody. So what, what do I mean by that? This second edict answered the first edict, right? The first edict said all the men, women, and children that were Jews were to be killed. But it actually, in some ways, is moderated because that was to go on the offensive against the Jews. The second edict is a response. Only if they were attacked could the Jews then respond. If they, if they did something to someone outside of that, they would have been going outside the scope of the edict. So it was in response, and it was meant to protect them, and it did allow for them to also plunder and take um, items. But that is the gist of it. Um, So this is not about the Jews proactively going after other people. This is a way for them to protect themselves. So let's talk about the people. And I want to talk about three groups of people that relate to this. The first is, we've talked about this before, but I'm, I just looked the story up again and read it again today and thought, you know, I just don't know why Saul did what he did. So remember that we talked about in 1 Samuel that Saul was told to wipe out the Amalekites. Samuel had come to him and he had said, God has told me to, to anoint you and you're to wipe them out and don't take any of their stuff. Just wipe them out. And what did Saul do? Samuel shows back up and he hears bleeding sheep. And he said, what have you done? And he said, well, I didn't, I did, I, we took all this, but only because we're going to sacrifice this. That's a justification. Saul thought he knew better than God. And it just got me thinking about us. Do we sometimes think we know better than God? You know what Saul didn't know? He didn't know better than God. He didn't know there was a Haman to come. There was much more that God knew, and Saul, thinking he knew better than God, caused many problems in the future for the Jewish people. He had no idea that there would be a decree to wipe the people out. So we see this, um, we see that God does instruct the uh, Jewish and the Israelite people to be violent in a way to wipe people out in some circumstances. And I read something this week that I thought was interesting and it talked about in the Old Testament, God's wrath was satisfied through that type of killing of people. In the New Testament, we see that God's wrath is satisfied on the cross by Jesus. So let's talk about the Jews. So this edict is, the second edict is in effect and the Jews begin to celebrate. Oh, I just want to say one more thing about Saul. One of my favorite lines in scripture is what Samuel says to him. And he says to him, it is better to obey than to sacrifice. I think that is such an important principle for us to remember. Don't justify that we're going to sacrifice. Be obedient. 
God knows best. So we see that the Jews are celebrating even before their deliverance. We don't even see their deliverance really happen in this chapter, but they're celebrating. And why are they celebrating? They are seeing the hand of God protect them. You know, um, I was talking with someone beforehand. It's like, what's interesting about the book of Esther? We don't see him. That's a device that's used in this. We don't see his name. But like his presence is so evident in all of this. And so the Jews are celebrating that they know that they are delivered. Um, and then the other people that I wanted to mention are the people mentioned right at the end of the chapter. So the non-Jews, did you catch that at the end? That they start making a claim that they are Jews. Isn't that interesting? And so um, really what that most likely is, is not so much people really identifying as being people of God as much as it is they are recognizing who's in power and wanting to identify with those people. They probably did not have knowledge of most of the things that had unfolded where God had been um, protecting the Jews. So most likely what they knew at that point was that um, Haman was no longer in power and he was dead. Mordecai was now essentially like a prime minister and there was a second edict. So most likely, they're probably not really identifying as the people of God. So the, so the next thing I want to talk about, the third thing here is parallels. Um, there are a lot of parallels in this chapter between the gospel and what is happening for, with the Jewish people here. So first of all, we see that the first decree cannot be overturned. There has to be a second decree. It, the first decree still stands. This mirrors very closely what we see in the first covenant in the, and then in the next covenant. So the first covenant that we see in scripture is a covenant of law. And under the law, we are all worthy of death. We do not have any hope for ourselves. Uh, we just cannot keep the law. But when Jesus comes and when he dies the perfect substitutionary death for us, we are now under a covenant of grace. But it didn't erase the first covenant. That still stands. It just covers that one. So we see a parallel there. We see a parallel um, between the king's wrath is satisfied when Haman is dead. That's talked about at the end of chapter 7. God's wrath, as I, I mentioned before, was satisfied when Christ died. So that is a parallel. Obviously, Haman's death is not a righteous death, but we do see that the king's wrath is satisfied. Um, Esther is given Haman's estate. That says she is a co-heir. We are co-heirs in Christ. Romans 8, 16, and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Esther is granted favor again with the king. She comes before him 
without being invited. She has access. We have access to the throne. Hebrews 4.16, we looked at last week. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mordecai, it is given the signet ring. That is power and authority in the kingdom. We are given power and authority in the kingdom. And Jesus said in Matthew 28 that he, that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are given a charge and we are given authority. The Jews are named on the new edict. Did you note that? That they are on there. That's one of the changes. So it moderates the amount of violence that happens. It's only in response. And they are named on that, which is significant. And you know what? We are named. In Psalm um, 91, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Mordecai wears robes of blue and white and a gold crown and a purple linen robe over that. That denotes royalty and honor. We are part of the royal priesthood when we are in Christ. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So I think it's interesting for us to be in this scripture this week. We are in the second week of Lent. And in Lent, we are in grief as we observe Lent. We are thinking about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We are grieving our sins. We are thinking about the things that have kept us from being the people that we should be in Christ and in God. And yet we look forward to a day. We look forward in this case to Easter where we are going to celebrate that new covenant. We're going to celebrate that Christ not only died, but he rose, he conquered death. Death, where is your sting? It is gone. Um, and so we see what happens with the Jews in this chapter is that they enter this chapter with this edict over their head. It is a period of tremendous grief and distress. And by the end of this chapter, in verse 17, this is what it says. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command in his edict reach, reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And so as we look toward Easter in this season, how blessed are we to be able to look toward that and to know that and have the anticipation of that celebration and to know that in the same way, but different, obviously, God is taking care of us. God has provided for us. And one day we will all join together in, it doesn't matter if this thing doesn't work. 
We're going to join together in a great feast together. As these Jews celebrated and had a feast, we too look toward a day when there is a great feast that we will have together. So with that, I'm going to pray for us all, and we're going to go to our groups. Father, we just thank you. We think about how you, um, your goodness to us. Lord, we're celebrating you even as we take time to pause and sit in grief. Um, Lord, we look forward to that day. Um, and we thank you that we get to see here in this scripture how you cared for your people. So, Lord, I pray for us as we go into our groups tonight. Help us to have a rich discussion about your word. In Jesus' name.